0: Leading Ideas Talks podcast is brought to you by the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com leadingideas. Leading Ideas Talks is also brought to you by The Right Start. If you're a pastor preparing to begin ministry in a new setting, This video toolkit will lead you in ending your current ministry well, developing a personal transition plan, and making the most of your first days, weeks and months in your new congregation. Learn more and watch a preview video at churchleadership.com slash the right start. And remember to stay up to date with the latest church leadership strategies and information Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos. How can a seamless pastoral transition lead to a more effective leadership transition? In this episode, we speak with Lee Critcher, the author of Seamless Pastoral Transition, Three Imperatives and Six Pitfalls, about shared leadership, nurturing future leaders, leading with humility, and more.
1: Welcome to Leading Ideas Talks, a podcast featuring thought leaders and innovative practitioners. I am Jessica Anschutz, the Assistant Director of the Lewis Center, and I am your host for this Leading Ideas Talk. Joining me is Lee Kreicher, founder of Future Forward Churches, an organization that provides research for church leaders navigating pastoral transitions and church revitalization. His latest book is Seamless Pastoral Transition, three imperatives, and six pitfalls. Welcome, Lee. I look forward to our conversation today about seamless pastoral transition.
2: Well, it's a pleasure to join you, Jessica. Uh, Thanks for the invitation.
1: Glad to have you. Lee, in your book, you call for church leaders to consider new and creative approaches when it comes to pastoral transitions. Describe some of the characteristics of a seamless pastoral transition for our listeners.
2: Well, a seamless pastoral transition is very simple. It's just that there is no gap between the outgoing and the incoming pastor. And so there is, in fact, there's typically an overlap where both serve the congregation. The congregation sees the outgoing pastor in ministry at the same time as they see the incoming pastor in ministry. And so it's a seamless transition in that respect.
1: About how long? Would you recommend for a seamless pastoral transition in order for it to be most effective
2: well in the case studies that i did which uh, a number of churches which um, assume there is a gap between the outgoing and the incoming pastor but they chose seamless pastoral transition for one reason or another um, but the the gap or the, the times that were served by both the incoming and outgoing pastor ranged from um six weeks to 15 years so it really is a long period of time that or a short period of time depending on what makes sense for the church Um, I'd say probably the formal transition between when the congregation is well aware this person is coming in the average time seemed to be about 12 to 18 months
1: great When you think about a seamless pastoral transition, what are the benefits to having both pastors uh, working and serving together at the same time?
2: Well, I think the world has changed quite a bit. I grew up in a Lutheran church outside of Philadelphia, and I think the feeling there was, this is my church. This will be my church for life. It doesn't matter if we have a good pastor, a bad pastor, or no pastor. Uh, this is just where we are. Well, the world has changed, uh, as you know. And so I think right now the question is, if a church has positive momentum, if a church is making a positive difference in the community, why hesitate or wh- why put a gap um, in in place between leaders that could jeopardize that momentum? And so I just do think that the most powerful Um, outcome is that the momentum and mission of the church is not compromised because of an unnecessary gap between pastors Um, but the congregation also gets to see some amazing um, characteristics in both pastors that are christ-like characteristics they get to see those modeled before their eyes which typically does not happen if there's um, months or years between the outgoing and incoming pastor
1: i'm a united methodist elder and as you know we operate under an itinerant system um that often does not leave room or space for overlapping pastors what possibilities do you see for seamless pastoral transition in a model like the united methodist church
2: um one good thing about the united methodist model is the The average length of time in some churches is, is two to three years now between pastors. And so you're talking about a matter of months uh, in the typical uh, pastoral transition in a United Methodist Church. So that's a huge advantage um, uh, in, in that model. One of the case studies I did was the United Methodist Church. And because the outgoing pastor worked with the bishop, the bishop and the outgoing pastor believed that in the best interest of their church that a seamless transition was in the best interest of the church. And so a, um, a staff member, an assistant pastor, was named the successor, approved by the bishop, approved locally within the church, and there was a seamless transition. So the last day of the uh, outgoing pastor was followed by the first day of the incoming pastor, and the church not only maintained its momentum and mission but it accelerated and the church is still thriving in in tremendous ways so that's a unique option which of course would still be with the blessing of the bishop Uh, but if nothing else there's an idea of can the outgoing pastor um, in one way or another show their support for whoever the incoming pastor is going to be And that may take a variety of ways. And I know some pastors will be there at the, you know, the first service. Sometimes the incoming pastor doesn't want the outgoing pastor to be there, but really if, if it's done in the right spirit, it can be great for the congregation to see this sense of, um, I know you've loved me as your pastor. And I just encourage you to love this new pastor because that, that person's entering into, um, this new role with my full support.
1: It it's so important that we that we support one another in the midst of the transition. One of the imperatives you highlight is for a clergy to share leadership. How do you see shared leadership leading to more effective transitions?
2: I think a great prayer for a pastor is open my eyes to the leaders who are around me. Um, I think of King David, whose own father, you know, looked at all the leaders in his family and had every single one except for the one who God had in mind. And so one pastor said to me, I would make room for other leaders if I had any leadership material in my church or on my church staff. But it's like, wow, unfortunately, you don't have a Samuel to open your eyes to who your Davids are. But you you believe it or not, you probably do have a David or two that you, or three that you can invest in. And to me, then sharing leadership just as uh as opposed to uh I have to do everything that's on my job description and nobody else can. It's what can I do to elevate the leaders around me, give them opportunities to grow. That may even mean doing a weekend message, which one pastor said, I would never share the pulpit. Um, I'm going to speak every weekend, the rest of my life and the rest of my ministry, at least. Uh, and even, and I said, Well, how about when you go on vacation? He said, Well, um, I leave after the service Sunday and I get back before the next Sunday. Well, that's kind of the opposite of shared leadership. And it's, I've always got to hold on to this role. And I, I do think one of the, mo- the models I look at in the, uh, in seamless pastoral transition is is moses and his handoff to joshua but early in his ministry moses was he was the guy and it wasn't until his father-in-law you know watched him in operation for a day and he said what you're doing is not good now i i often think you know if and moses in his mind would have been thinking um jethro you know, I just led the people out of Egypt. I parted the Red Sea. I received the Ten Commandments. Are you sure you want to critique my leadership? But actually, he listened to his father-in-law, and he started to raise up other leaders. He started to share leadership, not just with judges, but with people like Joshua and Caleb, so that when it was time to choose a successor, there were ready leaders available.
1: You Point to the importance of of thinking about future leadership, not only when it comes to who may succeed you in leadership as uh, as the pastor, but also future leadership um, when it comes to, come to laity serving. What words of wisdom do you have for church leadership in thinking about future leaders and identifying future leaders and nurturing future leaders?
2: Well, I think first of all, it's a commitment. It's something. Uh, like for instance, in the church that I most recently served, we had a saying among our staff and among our key volunteers, that the primary role of every leader is to develop other leaders. It's not just to do your job with excellence. Of course it is. It's not just to fulfill your area of ministry. Of course it is. But the primary role is to develop other leaders. So for instance, just on the our year-end reviews, each of our leaders and staff, and particularly our staff leaders would have a goal. Who are the two people that you are currently mentoring who can step in when you're out of town, when you're gone, if something happened to you so that the ministry of the church isn't compromised by your absence. And so I just do think the biggest part is just this realization that my role is to raise up other leaders. Jesus certainly saw that his primary role, obviously, it was to, you know, his death and resurrection, but I mean, it was to raise up leaders so that when he was gone, they could change the world, and that's exactly what he did.
1: Absolutely. And what an incredible model we have to to look at in in the life of Jesus. Yes. In thinking about pastoral transition specifically. what can outgoing pastors do to help pave the way for incoming pastors?
2: I think a big part of that is to be able to in the way you talk to the congregation is to not um, not encourage um, and I, I know it's a strong word to say idolatry, but sometimes you have a pastor who's so popular, And typically, if a pastor is unpopular, they're not going to be involved in a pastoral transition like this anyway, because they're not being asked for their opinion of who might follow them in their footsteps. But let's say a pastor is very popular, and perhaps they've been there for a long tenure, and they've impacted the ministry of the church in very positive ways. The pastor is going to get a certain number of accolades out of that. But to begin to defer that and to focus more on the mission of the church than on the leader and to identify the fact that the next leader is going to continue on with this amazing mission. Uh, So that's a part of it is just in your posture toward the congregation. But with the incoming leader, if you are able to have an overlap in leadership, to be able to give that person a chance to perhaps lead staff meetings with you present while you're still the senior leader or lead board meetings while you're present while you're still the senior leader. To speak um, with my successor in the last year, he spoke half of the weekends and I spoke half of the weekends. And so it was very much a way I was paving the way for the congregation to embrace a new leader. And I think one final thing is when you have staff or board members who are deeply, deeply loyal to you as the outgoing leader, but maybe they are not excited in any way at all about the incoming leader, maybe you do the incoming leader a favor by asking them to step aside, rather than waiting for the incoming leader to have to deal with, especially what could be an oppositional staff member or board member. So I think it's just saying, what can I do to, to make, to set up this, this next pastor for success in every way that I possibly can?
1: That's a, an excellent model. And I think there are ways that even if there isn't going to be shared leadership or or overlap, um, that the outgoing pastor can, can pave the way for the success of their uh, successor. One of the things you highlight in um, your book is for pastors to model humility. I'm hoping that you can share with our listeners what this might look like in the midst of a pastoral transition.
2: I think it's the hardest of the imperatives, even though as uh, Christ-centered leaders, we should be modeling humility all the time, but, you know... um, (laughs) pastors were not that we just don't naturally do that um and so to me i look uh, again if you look at moses and joshua uh, moses could have easily just said you know nobody can really replace me i'm moses and so when i die whoever comes in place go ahead but no he honored joshua and before the people he actually appointed him um and commissioned him as their leader so he was very supportive and i think in a way that was uh, that could be described as humble in fact moses uh, we read in the scriptures that moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth and um uh, uh depending on your theology moses may have actually written those words which of course when i first read that i thought was he really the most humble person on the earth if he wrote those <laughs> words but at any rate But then you look at Joshua on the other hand, then the temptation for the new leader is to discount the old leader. Um, But Joshua didn't come in and say, hey, he had 10 good commandments, but wait till you see my 10 commandments. You know, he built on what Moses had done and there was a matter of honor and respect. Um, Probably John the Baptist, you know, was the the most obvious in the way he approached it when he said, um, I must decrease, Jesus must increase. And that is what humility looks like for the outgoing pastor. And I think for the incoming pastor, just like Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm new in town, forget John the Baptist. He honored John the Baptist in amazing ways. So this mutual honor and respect I found to be very, very powerful in allowing congregations to move from one pastor to another.
1: Thank you, Lee. In, in thinking about this mutual honor and respect, it, it occurs to me that that's also relevant in cases of transitions between laity in leadership roles in the church. Can you, can you speak to that for a minute, how they can model humility in these transitions?
2: Yes, it's, it's interesting. You know, we talk about the, you know, the indispensable hero, um approach that's not just pastors that's often lay leaders i talked to one person who had said look this is my role in the church it will be my role until the day i go to heaven after that whoever takes my place can figure it out just like i had to figure it and this person was thrilled when they would come back from vacation and people would say oh we're so glad you're back cuz things were falling apart without well i said that's not a compliment that's an indictment um that's saying that you care more about your role than about the smooth operation of the ministry of the church so again even our key volunteers i would say who are the one or two people that you're taking under your wing and and so that when you're gone things go seamlessly things go smoothly and the ministry of the church is not compromised and if you know if you come back from vacation and somebody says wow everything went smoothly without you that's the greatest compliment you could receive as a leader or as a lay person who's passionate about your church
1: absolutely and of course we want things to go as seamless as possible whether we are we should want them to go as seamless as possible whether we are present or not um in Seamless pastoral transition, you name several pitfalls related to pastoral transitions. Um, What are some of the common pitfalls and what can church leaders do to avoid them?
2: Well, there's a number of pitfalls and I'll I'll read you all six, but then I'll just comment on a couple. Okay. Staying too long, which particularly applies to the outgoing pastor. Handing off the baton without taking another choosing a clone, failing to address financial realities, dismissing the need for a detailed transition plan, and then trying to undo the transition. But I thought I might comment on a couple. One, handing off the baton without taking another. And uh, I just spoke the other day with a leader of a nonprofit that's doing amazing work across the country. And he is handing off to... His successor I said what are you going to be doing when you hand things off and he said well I think God will just open the doors and I'll trust that that will work out and I said well God might open doors now if you start to pray and prepare and really take a look Uh, I think of the trapeze artist you know as one trapeze is when you're going to let go of the one trapeze it's only because another one's coming and Leaders have a very, very hard time letting go if with all the investment that God has in their life, their education, their, you know, their character, that they don't have some meaningful thing to step immediately into. So I I actually spent time with a life coach a couple days, a little just about a year before I handed off the church, to really pull together what are my strengths, what are my experiences, what are the things that I've been able to accomplish. How does that come together in a tapestry to what does that look like? And it's not going to be the same level of stress, the same level of energy, but it may have still tremendous impact. And that was the goal. So I think a huge issue, and one reason why pastors don't let go um, is when they, when they don't have something to take a hold of. And um, so that's one. I think choosing a clone is another, and that is, if you are involved in choosing your successor, it's very natural to think, um, well, things have gone very well under my ministry, so the church will be best off if there's someone just like me. And that is one of the concerns about seamless pastoral transition, that an outgoing pastor looks for a clone. Women pastors I talked to said, Will a male pastor ever pick a female pastor as his successor? And uh, one of the case studies in the book is a Lutheran church where that's exactly what happened. And was this person quite different than the outgoing pastor? Yes. And I think we need to realize uh, that we cannot prescribe the kind of leader. Joshua is very different than Moses. Um, And Timothy was very different than Paul. Uh, that was not a clear succession but nevertheless he was handing off leadership and so i think of it this way when when david went up against goliath Saul reluctantly he didn't see himself in david at all but he said well if you are going to go up against goliath at the minimum you're going to be wearing my armor and david tried it on and he said i can't do it and So when the outgoing pastor wants that incoming pastor to wear their armor, to be a clone of them, to be everything like them, they're really discounting the fact that God uses different people at different times and they could be very, very different and still be called by God to be that next leader to take the church to a a new place.
1: Amen. In... Thinking about effective pastoral transitions, what is the role of laity in these transitions? I think
2: one, you know, as to both of the the leaders, you know, there's this idea of I can let go of my outgoing pastor. And for, again, some pastors may have had a very, very rough tenure and the laity has no problem (laughs) letting go all the churches in the case study case studies that I provide in the book actually have an outgoing pastor who has had a long and healthy tenure and people will genuinely miss them when they're not Um, but people need to be able to let go of that person that person's style and I think the lady going into that new pastor is open-minded open-hearted supportive and saying, yes, this person is different than our beloved outgoing pastor, but we're gonna give him or her a chance. And that chance isn't gonna be three weeks. It's not gonna be three months. I do think that the body of Christ as a whole uh, is far less effective when people are moving from one church to another during pastoral transitions. I know it happens. Uh, and they say, I just can't get on board with this new, with this new pastor but stand behind them because it's the mission of the church. That's the highest priority and um, the more supportive in prayer. And in the words you say about that person uh, that you can be, Uh, I think every lay person has a decision to make. Am I going to be an encourager or am I going to be a critic? And in every church, there are things and people you can find to encourage. And in every church, there are things and people you can find to criticize and Uh, I think when we want to stand before God and hear, well done, good and faithful servant uh, as lay people, then I I think we have a much better chance of hearing those words if we've chosen the high road of being an encourager instead of a critic.
1: I like the juxtaposition of encourager and critic and uh, have certainly seen um, both encouragers and critics at play in congregations and certainly hope our listeners will strive to be encouragers. As we wrap up our time together, Lee, I want to once again encourage our listeners to read your book, um, It's Seamless Pastoral Transition. And I want to invite you the opportunity to offer some words of wisdom for clergy who are preparing for pastoral transitions.
2: Yeah, I just think the topics that we talked about Uh, sharing leadership, paving the way, and modeling humility, if if those are top of mind and you really are able to get some objective people around you who are able to say, are these things that I'm actually practicing and how can I practice these more effectively? Uh, I think those are just important things for outgoing pastors to, to keep in mind and particularly to say, Yes, yeah, so it's, it's kind of the opposite of a pastor who said to me, you know what, I'm gonna serve uh, until that day I'm not serving. And then after that, it's, you know, whatever happens, happens. And they said it's in God's hands. And of course the church has to be in God's hands. But if you don't care about what happens after you're gone, I think there's some something that's off about that. You love your church, you love the, the people there. And so, yes, you can't do it. You know, even Moses, he couldn't guarantee what would happen with Joshua as a leader, but at least he could do his best to set Joshua up for success and, you know, to prepare that person to, to lead Israel. And I, I know that those, they're often seen as political and military leaders, but really, I I read one commentator who said they actually were like the pastor's of of the nation of israel as well the spiritual leaders and so they refer to him as pastor moses and pastor joshua which (laughs) i think is really an, an awesome way to look at it um but either way it's you you just have this inner passion that says god i want to leave this church in a very good place when i when i go
1: You lift up the importance of each doing our, our part, the incoming and the outgoing pastor. What words of wisdom do you have for laity as they experience pastoral transition?
2: Yeah, I think it goes back to being um, celebratory for the outgoing pastor. I think, you know, assuming the it's, it's appropriate to have a celebration service, you know, um, and when things are handled appropriately, Uh, I know that our church had a night of gratitude for me and for my wife, uh, and it was people talking about the impact we had had in the church, and it just felt absolutely great. And I think one reason why a lot of pastors miss out on that is they wait too long to hand off, and then you know there's a feeling of good riddance rather than let's celebrate. But I do think that there's a celebration of what has been and honoring of what has been And then, like I said, an an open mind to to what is to come and to that leader. That leader will have many gifts, very different than the outgoing leader. But just pray that God opens your eyes to what those gifts are and then celebrate those gifts and appreciate those gifts. And uh, ultimately, we know that Jesus is the hope of the world, but Who carries the message of Jesus? It's the local church. So I think of the local church as the hope of the world. And so all of us, uh, clergy and laity, need to have this commitment to say, how do I act? How do I operate, quote unquote, in my role so that our local church is as much the hope of the world as it possibly can be, in the world in which we live today.
1: Those are wonderful parting words. Thank you so much, Lee, for joining us for this Leading Ideas Talk.
2: My pleasure, Jessica.
0: Thank you. Thanks for joining us for Leading Ideas Talks. Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos.